0: PlushCare.com slash weight loss.
1: ERIO's original.
0: And also, I see this flash, and she's got a knife. Oh. And she's pulling it back and she's going to launch this at me And I can see her screaming in slow motion <gasps> And man, that first laugh was like The heavens
2: open mm-hmm. and God spoke to me mm-hmm. And it felt like I was on crack And meth <laughs> and heroin all at the same time So I'm told Taking over my dreams, me out of my sleep. I think I'm coming apart Coming
3: out of the dark out of the dark out of the dark Yeah, coming out of the dark Hi, I'm Margaret Cho. Welcome to The Margaret Cho, where we talk to people you know and people you should know. You know, we would so appreciate it if you would rate and review. Give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. And if you do so, I might just read it on here. We have one today from a J. Rip Hetsas. I don't know. (laughs) It's... A lot of um, consonants together but thank you and uh, it says thank you just so happy Margaret Cho has her own podcast again she's incredibly thoughtful and engaging with her guests I could listen to her speak for hours I have for 20 years now this woman has been a cultural influencer for literally decades now Margaret Cho talks we should all shut up and listen she's just brilliant well you're just brilliant thank you so much and so yeah please leave us a review and I'll read it My guest today is somebody that I love and everybody loves. Everybody should know from the runaways, from all sorts of things, from her book, Neon Angel. It's Sheree Curry.
2: Thank
0: you so much. I am such a huge fan of yours. This I'm is a this...
3: huge fan of yours. Well, it
0: is just an honor. I had gotten Neon Angel
3: when it came out, and then I was uh, going over it because I knew we were going to meet today, and I was just in this part about Bowie. I love that you loved him. <gasps> oh, my
0: gosh. I mean, crazy about him. I mean, if it wouldn't have been for him, I never would have even known what I was going to do with my life.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is for sure. Well, I see a lot of like that kind of power in your performance. It was very glam, but space informed it, platforms informed it. Mm-hmm. Like the first time I saw him was probably the uh, tour where he had the dancer and he was like working with her, the blonde dancer that he would throw. It was after Let's Dance, yes. And then I saw him a bunch after that. You got to see him in the, the real like,
0: time i was expecting to see ziggy actually and i was a little taken aback because of course i was expecting something completely different Mm -hmm. and he came out in the zoot suit and all that but boy i mean it it only took a a momentary shock and then i was like oh my god he's so great you know it was just the most amazing show and the sets were incredible and he's he's there's never going to be another david bowie that's for sure
3: um did you get to meet him in life i did what was that like
0: I expected him to be taller. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I was in such shock. He came to see us uh, at the Ratzkeller in mm-hmm. Boston. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was wearing glasses and a hat and a scarf. I mean, there was sweat dripping off the pipes on the ceiling, so And yeah. he was very bundled up. And he came with Iggy. And uh, I mean, I think I was so tongue-tied and shocked right. by his presence because he just just standing there when you were watching, like the man who fell to earth or any right. of that. You know, there is he he has this presence without having to do anything. I think I I must have he must have thought I was an idiot or something. I'm sure no, <laughs> I, I, don't I don't think, think so. I said anything. I think
3: I was like, uh, uh, uh. Well, I think he's probably used to that reaction. Because I met him in probably like 2000 and or 2004 it was right during the reality tour so he had used a couple of things that I'd written about him as press material so he had like wanted to thank me. And so he he brought me out and I was crying like a wreck, <laughs> yeah. like crazy. And they had to take a bunch of photos of us because I kept crying. He was like, could you just stop crying for a second? He said that to you? Yes. And he was so, he was so nice. And, and it was really, um, <laughs> that's really quite I the story. Just, I just couldn't be cool. Are you, I don't no. think anybody could be cool. And Marilyn Manson was there too. He could not be cool at all. He was like freaking out. I played Be My Wife and then I proposed to Dita right after I played. Like he was just going on and on and on (laughs) about it because I think that Bowie has such a meaning to all of us who got to see him and saw in him almost, and I think you talk about this in Neon Angel, you, you almost transferred all of the feelings about your father onto... David Bowie, which I think all of us do. We, there's a side of us, we all are sort of like his children in a way.
0: Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, and of course I didn't know who I was at 15 years old. I didn't know how I was going to pull this off when mm-hmm. I joined the Runaways either. So I didn't right. So I pretended to
3: mm-hmm. be him
0: yes. for like a, a long period of time in the first tour mm-hmm. till I could figure out who the heck I was, mm-hmm. you know?
3: He's a good person to emulate because he's really about kind of bringing that divine alien out of yourself yeah
0: and everything goes So you can't do anything wrong
3: yeah right yeah you could do whatever you wanted exactly and I mean with you as the front person for this band it was like this band of like tough girls who you were so young Mm -hmm. I mean you were these kids but you had so much confidence which is like young girls don't have that usually so Mm -hmm. it's like something that like the spectacle of like when you were looking out in the audience were you seeing a lot of Girls like you, were you seeing boys? Like who was coming to see you in the early days?
0: Both, yeah. Uh, Of course, girls that didn't really expect us to be able to do that, yeah. uh, Because you know, girls were kind of held down at that time, and then boys that just thought it was either going to just be some kind of a joke or they loved the record. Yeah, you know, it started like a big movement. Mm -hmm. You know,
3: yeah. Well, it's like this thing of like here are the girls. They're they're playing their own instruments. Which is a very big deal. Mm-hmm. They're singing. There's like, there's like this energy around it. I mean, it is very punk rock, almost in um, a sense of like before punk. It's it's on the edge of glam into punk. It's very sexualized, but not not, not in the, overly not overly right. like because it's still innocent. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the thing about it. They're the Runaways, but they're still kids.
0: Right. There's well, no I think that the it. songs were also just so. I mean, Kim Fowley. I, I I've got to give him credit. I mean, he was just a brilliant songwriter up to the end. Mm-hmm. He just did not pull punches with the lyrics. Right. We were singing songs about things that teenagers had never done. Yeah. Every single song that we did was was about either sex or love. Or breaking out of jail, or right. you know? <laughs> rebellion. Yeah, it's exactly. like
3: I'm going to explode in your face. Like I'm going to be this like rocket of like rock and roll and lust and youthful energy. It's sort of like this proclamation that you're coming to take over the world. So it's like an anthem, for and a we lot felt of like that actually. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, we did. You know, you were just so beautiful. You're like such a beautiful woman that like. That must have been alarming too, like to kind of like be this beautiful
0: on the stage in this world. You had a lot of power, don't you think? You know what? I, I never thought of myself as, as beautiful by any means. In fact, uh, well, I'm a, tw- I'm a twin. Mm-hmm. My, my sister Marie... She was the popular one in school. She was just a little little taller Mm -hmm. and just very brave. I was really just this, I was the runt of the team and Mm -hmm. a little scared and shy and all that until I saw David Bowie. Right. And a couple other things that happened in my life that changed me a bit. But thank thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. I think all girls that are 15, 16 are beautiful. beautiful. I I just think so. You know, I do
3: too. But like, I loved like your confidence then and to be a young girl and to see you and see the runaways. And like,
0: it's really an incredible thing. Well, thank you. Yeah. And it was, it was a real terrific experience. It was hard. I mean, yeah. and long and, uh, you know, we never had anyone with us. Mm-hmm. It was, we had no Parental supervision. No. no. At, You're like on your own. Yeah. In this world of like touring and rock and roll. And well, you know, the difference between the first tour and the second tour was monumental. I mean, we went from playing, you know, the Starwood, which was a great club to coming back and playing the Santa Monica Civic Center, right. which I mean, it just, you know, within within just a few months, right, we came back a lot bigger a band. Yeah, yeah. And you worked so hard to mm-hmm. get there. Mm-hmm. All of you. Well, we started off with a rundown motorhome. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it even made it all the way past Texas, to be honest. I think we broke down. Mm -hmm. We did. And then we ended up getting rental cars. Mm -hmm. And we drove all the way to to, uh, Cleveland, Ohio. That was our first show. That's incredible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. At the Celebrity... I think it was called the Celebrity Ballroom, mm-hmm. and that was just incredible. To be able to come into Cleveland, which is still one of my favorite places to play, Yeah, and just to see it was completely sold out, mm-hmm. it was shocking, because we went from just playing Orange County and things mm-hmm. like that to, uh, you know, I'd never been away from California either, so right. it was neat to see how you know it is in the rest of the United States. It was fun. And and then to see the world
3: change as like you're getting played on the radio and getting coverage mm-hmm. and like becoming this very, very big band. It was very exciting. It's exciting. Yeah. Were people coming dressed like you? Was that sort of like that's the Bowie thing. It's like when the our audience looks like you and yes. it's very that's very bowie.
0: Yes, absolutely. And again, we started off in just runaways, t-shirts, right. and jeans. Mm-hmm. And then we progressed to the LeMay suits <laughs> yes. for the next US tour. I and mean, it was great until one girl, I'll never forget I was this was at Wildman Sam's in Orange County, right? We got back, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden and I'm I'm on stage it's a tiny place. And all of a sudden I see this flash and she's got a knife. And she's pulling it back and she's going to launch this at me. And I can see her screaming in slow motion, (gasps) you took my boyfriend. And all of a sudden he reaches up and grabs her arm. Of course, I dive. Oh, that's (laughs) terrible. It scared me to death because she was intent on planting that knife in me. I didn't even know. You know, it's just wacky, right? Pretty That's crazy. a new one. I've never heard of like a knife thrower in the audience. Usually Oh, it's and it didn't stop there. Something else. Oh, yeah, yeah. The uh, Apollo Theater in Glasgow. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were playing there, and, and even Rod Stewart had played the night before, and I was pretty excited. It was big. And this yeah. was when punk. Real punk was happening Mm -hmm. with people with the, uh, you know, safety pins in the faces and all that kind of stuff and scared the crap out of me Mm -hmm. because I didn't know that those people existed and it was frightening. And all of a sudden on there, forget, you know, we we ended a song, boom, you know, like that. And all of a sudden I felt this thud right by my boot and I looked down and there is this Bowie knife vibrating about this far from my boot. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you, I took off like a rocket. I went screaming, ah, mm. off that stage. And Joan, she went running. She was horrified. And then she went out and she talked to them mm-hmm. because I was not going back out there. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a sh- shot yeah. in hell. And she went, she calmed everybody down and asked them, you know, to please, you know, calm down. and let, I. It took every bit of my guts Mm. to force myself back out there. Yeah, that's scary. That was way too close for comfort.
3: Yeah, that would be tough. I think, yeah, what can you do? You don't have any way to sort of protect yourself because you're up there or even retaliate. Well, I knew that like, Sometimes, I think in the 90s, some of the grunge girls would take out their tampons and throw them in the audience. Oh, God. That's very uh, L7. Yeah.
0: And of course, (laughs) if you've got a guitar in front of you, you can lift it up and, you know, the beer bottles that come and all that kind of stuff. yeah. yeah, you you can block it. Yeah, you could block it. I always
3: like the the tampon thing because it's it's very... (laughs) I think Cordy Love did that, too. I I believe Shirley Manson did, but I can't really remember. (laughs)
0: Never heard of that. I'm glad, too. I'm really happy that I didn't hear about that. It's a good one. Yeah,
3: I was on tour with the band and... uh, the singer would terrorize the road crew by uh, hanging her tampons, her used tampons, in their bunks, which I thought was great. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. It really. You're unique. You know that, Margaret? <laughs> yes. You're, pretty, you're, you're, you're unique. Well, I like to do things that really shut men up. Yeah, obviously. That, that'll really shut them up. That would. Put, <laughs> you, that, that's like that's worse than a horse's head. I, I would think so. It's pretty bad. Yeah. Do you guys, did you guys do like American Bandstand? Did you do, um, no. did you do Music Laden? Susie <gasps> yes. Quattro? You must've
0: done Music Laden. Yes, that absolutely. Was great. Yes, that's a great that show. was neat. That was awesome.
3: Yeah. That's a great show. Cause I always loved the Susie I haven't Quattro I have that in
0: 40 years. Music
3: Laden is great. And if you go on YouTube, you can see all of the old, you know, you'd see Roxy music on there. And of course, Susie Quattro is my favorite. Oh, mine too. She's the best. Were you aware of her when you guys were starting or... Oh, how did you learn about her? Before we
0: started, in fact, you know, I, David Bowie was my persona. Right. And, Susie Quattro was Joan's persona. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And Joan even cut her hair. It straightened it like Susie, And and Susie told me this story. She she was staying at the uh Oh yeah, the and, Riot House. And the, yeah, uh, the Hyatt House. Yeah. Right, exactly. And she walked down and there was this girl that looked identical to her sitting in the lobby. And mm-hmm. and Susie would go back up to her room and she'd come back down, and like 24 hours later, that girl's still sitting there, and it was Joan. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I mean, she was a little mini, Susie Quattro. And actually, so when you put them side by side and you look at their videos, yeah, uh, you know, to this day, Jones still has a lot of Susie.
3: Yeah, and it's great. It's a it's it's a nice compliment to Susie and and you know what she was able to do. I think you guys were able to accomplish a lot more than her because you had more of an American presence. You have a more sort of American
0: legacy, but uh, she. She really is And she did move to the UK, mm-hmm. and she's huge in the UK and Australia and New Zealand mm-hmm. and other parts of the world. I mean, she's huge. But yeah. she, she just... But she's still... I mean, Can the Can, Your Mama Won't Like Me, and all these other 48 others, Crash. 48, 48 Crash. Things, all
3: those things. That, so all those songs are just so legendary yeah. to and me. And I saw
0: her open for, for Alice Cooper. I also saw her mm-hmm. open for... Uh, Ooh, 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 ooh. Elton John at, at Oh the that's forum. A, What a great show Yes and That's he, a great show And he had Before she came on stage He played the bitches back Over the <laughs> 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 It was such an amazing night Because she's so Tiny And she's got this ooh. huge bass And she's doing that Whole Chuck Berry thing And she ju- There was just No one like her Yeah
3: well, still, it's like I want
0: her in the Rock and so Roll Hall great. of Fame. God damn be. it! I
3: she know it. Be. She should be. because she's so influential, and just for a woman to be out there alone, just rocking it, and all over the world. But I think what happens sometimes is when these women move to the UK, in the same way that uh, Chrissy Hine did, mm-hmm. that they somehow like maybe it, maybe Cleveland doesn't recognize them enough because I think Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is all Cleveland, right? Mm. So it's sort of it's sort of a thing where like when you move there's something to that. Maybe.
0: I don't know. Well, I, um, I'm, I'm hoping that's the reason. Yeah. You know, because otherwise, I, I feel kind of disillusioned by the whole Rock and Roll Hall of Fame thing just simply because of that.
3: Well, and they never uh, really acknowledge women. Rock and roll in general is a very sexist medium. It's mostly guys, mm-hmm. which is why it's so extraordinary when women make a name for themselves like y- yourself, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. it's like, you have to be really strong to withstand that you have to be strong to deal with all the things that we deal with as women in the world anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm sure that you guys also were getting a lot of attention, maybe a lot of attention from other rock stars.
0: I yes. Mean, yeah. Yes. Like, I'm
3: sure you're bombarded.
0: Well, you, nowadays, mm-hmm. oh yeah, far more so than we did. I mean, I actually thought that we were all but forgotten about 22 years ago. Mm-hmm. I just really thought that. Uh, well, you know, when Madonna, I remember Madonna saying that she was the first one to wear a course, or People were saying no, she you're was the first one. <laughs> and I say, I, I say gee whiz, really? I mean, honestly, I mean, and I was, you know, just turned 60 like a week. Before I put that corset on. It looks so good. What made you think of putting the corset on? Well, we were doing a sound check at the Starwood. Mm-hmm. And I walked out to smoke a cigarette. Eh, <coughs> awful. And um, there was this lingerie store across the, the way. Bree knows the name. I forget every single time she tells me. But there was this lone corset in the window. And Ooh. I, I could, it was like the sun was hitting it just right. And, yeah. And I, and I jaywalked across uh, Santa Monica just mesmerized by this Mm -hmm. thing and I walked in and I tried it on oh and I went this is perfect for cherry bomb
3: amazing yeah
0: exactly I bought it I bought it and then I went directly to Kim because I knew the girls were not gonna like this at all and uh I went to Kim and Scott and they saw me in it and I said this is just for three minutes and they said absolutely perfect yeah
3: it's perfect because you had the the girls who were very like in their sort of tough like Jeans um, Leather Stance And then you With the corset It was like the perfect way To like put the front woman Out there mm-hmm. Was it Lily St. Sears? That's
0: it it's That's Saint-Sears. it Yeah
3: Yeah that was yeah. right there On Santa Monica So that's, that's right That's where it would have been And you know how tiny it was And there was just one was, window Yeah One corset very, At a very time Very small yeah. lingerie Very specialized store I mean it could have Sort of maybe Frederick's of Hollywood But that's actually On Hollywood Boulevard then. Yeah
0: no 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 This was Lily St. Sears And, and, and like, it, like I said That was a tiny little store store tiny yeah and there was only room for one corset in that window right and thank god it was that white one because if it would have been something a black or red or t- i Mm-mm. never would have been drawn the way it
3: was perfect yeah. i mean that's what it was like the perfect entryway it into was. that and nobody wore a corset before that you would not be able to see a, another corset until yeah probably until madonna which mm-hmm. is maybe eight or nine years later right well i guess the the women of prince will prince wearing corsets yeah so that but that was even after that, too. Mm-hmm. So this is like very front runner in the, the whole like lingerie Yay. as costuming. Right, right, But as power. Mm-hmm. Lingerie not as sexualized object, but lingerie as like powerful. As a statement. Statement. Sure. Which is really good.
0: It's Thank important. You.
3: And I like how Dakota Fanning wears it in the, in the, in the <laughs> movie. <laughs> yeah. She was so she cute. She had fun.
0: Yeah, she was wonderful.
3: When I watched it, I was like, oh my God, they're so cute. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're like little babies. Would you feel yeah. like that thing of like,
0: God, was I that that little, like like that young? They're so children. Absolutely did. And in fact, when I first met Dakota, when she had agreed to do the film, she was still little. She looked like she did with War of the Worlds. And, I, mm-hmm. and she came to see me do just a couple of songs um, for a fundraiser at the Roxy. And even with 103, she was sick. She was not going to miss that. She was just such a professional. But I thought, how is this little, tiny, young girl? She was too young. But she was actually my age, early 15. Uh, By the time they started shooting, she had just... About to turn sixty, and mm-hmm. she looked like I did. I mean, you know yeah. that she grew up so fast. And then
3: you were—I mean, you were that young and growing up that fast in the same way mm-hmm. on the road, and then doing movies mm-hmm. like Foxes, which is legendary. <laughs> Foxes—I was in a, pro- a drag production of Foxes. In—I um, was in that. You show. were in that. I yeah. came. Yes, I, came. I know that you came, and I—I I was sort of like hanging well, boys out with Loretta. girls in it too. Yeah, right. so they all yeah. switched. So I was a kind of a friend of the. Character that Loretta was playing, and I can't remember, but um, Fred was playing your part.
0: Fred, oh. Fred was, uh, he you loved know, being you. I loved him he too. He was great. Yes.
3: Fred was great. Um, he died in uh, 98, 97 or 98. Yeah. Something like that. But uh, he loved playing you and he had dyed his hair to that white blonde. Yes, he
0: did. It was so perfect. Well, I just enjoyed that play so much. I, re- I sat right in the front and yeah. uh, just applauded. You guys were great. It's fun. It's a fun movie. I mean, what was it like to film that? How'd you get that role? I worked really hard for it. I didn't expect to get that role because, mm-hmm. so when I walked in, it was at that point called 20th Century Foxes, mm-hmm. and all these women that were, had come in for that role were gorgeous. I mean, gorgeous. And here I am with my little shag haircut. I was wearing a tight little baseball shirt and platform tennis shoes. Mm -hmm. And I looked at these gorgeous girls. I said, there's no way I'm getting this. I put the script down and I walked out. Mm -hmm. And as I was walking to my car, this voice just said, you have to turn back.
3: Yeah. And
0: I went, I don't want to, but it just, I went, okay. I turned back and that started it. And I mean, I, I, so I read and then I did a screen test for Annie. I did a screen test for Deirdre. Mm-hmm. And then I met with Scott Bayo. when we were doing a, a reading. And this went on for like at least a month. And then I left and went home. And all of a sudden, I got a call from May Williams, who was the casting person mm-hmm. who also played the, the, the gal in the supermarket at yeah. the checkout, who was mm-hmm. a friend of my mother's, believe oh. it or not. And she goes, you have to come back. I said, May, I just came over the hill. And uh-huh. she goes, you have to come back. And I did. And and they wanted to tell me that I had the part oh, in person. And I great. just fainted. I just, I mean, it was, wow. I didn't expect that. A mm-hmm. lot of girls like Rosanna Arquette and... Mm-hmm. Christy McNichol were up for that. And those yeah. are real seasoned actors. Yeah, yeah. But you have
3: such a beautiful, I mean, you have such a beautiful, like, very fresh quality in that movie and very, like, it's like this new presence. I mean, you're like unmistakably a star.
0: Oh, so all the drugs didn't totally uh, kill that?
3: <laughs> no, that's the thing about drugs. It, it really doesn't kill it. it doesn't the, the drugs kind of enhance it, actually.
0: Well, yeah. You know? Well, I was so used to doing it by then. I, I'm sure I did, they didn't bother me at all at that point.
3: I think, well, the drugs then, too. Well, they're not like the drugs of today. The no. drugs of today are much more seriously like... Scary. Scary and, 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 and painful and, and, and deadly. And they should... Yeah, you, know? you should be
0: very afraid. Yeah. yeah. So
3: drugs then, they were, I mean... A little bit more, uh, you could like actually like live and have a career and work and and do your thing. Um, You know, drugs, I think they just need to water them down again in the 70s way. (laughs) You know, you just, just take a half, just take a quarter. (laughs) Take a (laughs) quarter. I mean, yeah, you're beautiful in the movie. And it's like, yeah, it's so weird to me when really beautiful women just kind of think other, like they don't see them. I guess it's hard to see yourself as that. Yeah. But you are. Look, I wouldn't
0: have got breast implants if I would have thought I was beautiful. Biggest mistake I ever made in my life. Mm -hmm. I swear I didn't really want them. Mm -hmm. But my twin sister had a pair. My older sister had a pair. And my sister said, you know, you really, you look pretty bad. You Mm -hmm. know, because I was a fitness trainer at the Mm -hmm. time. So I was all muscle and no boob, I guess. And I was fine with it. But, you know, I was so impressionable by people Mm -hmm. that I loved and believed in. and, And it just sent me down that, that rabbit hole. And I went and had these stupid things put in. I just can't wait to get them out. Mm. And, uh, I mean, you know, but there, there's things that we do that we shouldn't. Right. And, you know, and it's insecurity why, why I got this, obviously. Cause I mean, I was happy with myself until somebody yeah. said something. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, so people shut up. All right. Don't say bad things I to know. people.
3: I know. Damn it. It's sad though. Like I always like look back, at myself you know in my teens and 20s and i i'm like god you know i thought i was so ugly and i really missed out on the beauty like i'm like oh i look so good and i'm so you are you're gorgeous thank you absolutely but you know it's like we we don't appreciate it until like much later Then when you when you're like oh i see you know and then so I, i always like want young girls to like really appreciate it while they you know while
0: they're still young absolutely and stay out of the sun
3: oh that's really, that's really important that's
0: really important
3: you have to do the chainsaw stuff outside right because then you oh, can't because
0: yeah. there's so much debris that comes off of the chainsaw well it's a gasoline engine so uh, yeah. you, you don't want to run that inside
3: um, that is so um, <laughs> metal monoxide <laughs> but it's very metal it's very metal that you do that that the, I've never even heard of like chainsaw sculpture other than you you're the only chainsaw sculpture artist I know Oh, well,
0: there's a few of us a few few women yeah, that's good. Yeah, kicking butt out there. And yeah, but it's not done often, that's for sure. It's, it's an acquired taste, I believe. Well, uh, it's uh, I mean, it's it's really exciting, though. You know, I mean, what, when, what made you think, oh, I'm going to do this with a chainsaw? There was no choice in the matter. I just happened to be going to the beach and was going over Canaan Dune Road and saw a couple of guys chainsaw carving at the side of the road. And we didn't stop. I was on the back of a motorcycle. We didn't stop. But I could not get it out of my head. So every night I went to bed, this voice said, you have to go back. I'd get up you got to go back. And I finally did about a week or so later, and I happened to have the wherewithal to take my artwork with me. And I walked into their gallery and these were stunningly beautiful pieces so are you, are you know I was kind of expecting to see like the real crude you know uh, lumberjack type bears and mm-hmm. stuff but these were stunning mermaids and mm. dolphins and and that voice said you can do this
3: yeah I because mean,
0: I never would have thought
3: right it's a crazy contraption it's a machine it's a machine that can be do a lot of damage
0: it's killed quite a few carvers as well. I mean, oh. people with one guy, he was carving and he, it kicked back on him and hit him right here. Mm. And within three minutes, there was nothing that they could do to save him. So, and also like my accident, obviously mm. when I was falling, I knew right. to hold it out. Right. Whichever way I was going to fall, I had my lo- arms locked, even though I don't remember it. I know that I'm so glad I don't remember because yeah. I don't know if I'd ever be able to do it again. Exactly. You know, that fear. Yeah. yeah.
3: I mean it's definitely certainly like just a very magnificent thing to say. Well, I'm a chainsaw sculptor.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, and That's my sister thing. my sister Sandy who's an, who's an actress Sandra Curry, there's a couple times she goes, Sheree, I just wish you wouldn't tell people that when you're doing interviews." And I said, "Why not?" She goes, "Well, you know, you should, I don't know. I think that they just probably think it's silly." I said, "No, I said I'm very proud of of being a chainsaw artist yeah. and I've won a lot of awards doing it. And yeah. I think it's a great thing. It got me past a lot of fear mm-hmm. because that's a scary thing mm-hmm. to do and know that it's in your hands. Your life is in your hands and you have to be really careful. Yeah. yeah.
3: I love it. It's like playing with fire as is, you know, rock and roll. It's like playing with exactly. fire. It's yeah. great. I love it. Thank you. And um, are you on social media? You're like out there. So like let people know where they can check you out.
0: Well, I'm like a Facebook person. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not a Instagram person, even a, I'm not even a twit. But I do have a Facebook page and I, it's the Cherie Curry official. And then I think there's a Facebook page, uh, Cherie Curry and Bree Darling. Thank you so much for coming you on. You know what, Margaret, I've wanted to meet you for so long and I can't believe I saw you Pre-fame doing the foxes play. Yes. And you know what? I'm gonna go tell Susan Olsen that she's right. You are just a doll. Oh, you're awesome. Thank you.
1: Wow. Nice. Yeah.
3: And now we have an interview with Helen Hong, hilarious comedian, podcaster, lady about town. She's, She's so funny. Cute. She's so funny. She gets a, get very excited. so She wants to s- sniff and
2: smell. I would have one if I had a backyard. Mm-hmm. But live in, a, I live in an apartment right now. Mm.
3: And I do have a roommate, but he's on the road also, so... Yeah, you know, having a dog is a it's a great thing, but it's hard for comics. I mean, how often do you go on the road? Are you, like, out every weekend? Not every weekend, thankfully. I'm not a real road dog. I go on the road once
2: a month. Mm-hmm. Actually, twice a month because I do Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me on NPR. Right. Thankfully, that's just one night, but it's still one night. Yeah, you travel. That I'm away. Mm-hmm. And then I do do a full weekend, a Thursday through Sunday, usually once a month. Mm-hmm. And especially at the beginning, you know, they say you're really supposed to stay home and make sure the dog knows that, y- yeah. you know, you're his mommy. And- mhm. And it's just been so, I've been so busy. And even during the week, you know, like I audition during the day. I do spots Mm. at
3: night. Yeah, it's hard. When you're a comic, like there's so much to do because it's like, it's double like what an actor would do really because it's not just like, working on shows and and stuff, but you're actually going out at night and doing spots everywhere. You know, you're almost like living in your car the whole time. Yeah.
2: Oh my God, you should see my car.
3: Mm.
0: (laughs) I'm literally living in my car. It is that
3: feeling. Like, I know that feeling. It's like LA comedy life is like living in your car. Like, you know where you can go the bathroom in the city. It's so true. You know? You know what's a good hack? The Trader Joe's ones are usually good. Mm -hmm.
2: Every grocery store will have a bathroom.
3: Yeah, I love a good CVS bathroom. Oh no.
2: no! I have had bad luck with CVS bathrooms. Really? Yeah, they're always like... like. I feel like they're very crackety. Mm, I like a Target. A Target will always have a solid bathroom. A Target's sure. a good one. You know that. You know who has a really nice bathroom if you're feeling fancy? Mm. A Crate and Barrel. Oh, all right. Or like any furniture store Mm. will have like a fancy bathroom. Oh, that's a
3: good thing. If you're
2: like, oh, I'll just pop in here. Yeah, and Barrel, Pottery Barn, any of those will have a really nice bathroom.
3: Like a Williams and Sonoma. Yeah, That's a good idea. Where's like a place that you could just do a couple of hours? Like if you don't feel like driving. I've done a couple of hours
2: literally sitting in my car in a Target parking lot. Okay. Because I know I can go there. I can pee. Right. I don't have to buy anything. No one's going to harass me. No. I come out to my car. I can take a little nap. Oh, okay. Like a little disco nap. Maybe yeah. like 45 minutes to an hour. Mm-hmm. And then I can put on my makeup and go be about my business. Oh, okay. And no one's going to harass me in a Target parking lot. Mm. Yeah. Unless it's one of those like parking lots where you have to like get the ticket to go in. Oh, then, then that's, you're not sure. as, that's not no. as good.
3: I, I usually will do like a Bottega Louie. And I'll just sit there for, like, three oh. hours. Like, I'll go to, like, a kind of a restaurant where they know me. <laughs> and I don't look weird sitting there for, like, three hours where they have a shift change. Like, I'll take my proper laptop, mm. not just my iPad, and I'll go, and I'll, you know. Because it's the thing is, like, we have to kind of be able to go anywhere and do anything.
2: It's so true. Yeah,
3: because comedians are sort of the fix-all, fix-a-flat Of the entertainment world.
2: Yeah, that is really true. And you do find yourself having like chunks of the day where it's like it's not enough time that you can want to go all the way home. Mm -hmm. And I'm even worse like with my car because I'm a hoarder on top of everything else. Yeah. I have like a psychological hoarding problem. Uh Like I cannot throw things out. (laughs) Like if you looked at my car right now, it's like disaster i'm so like ask me anything ask me for a disco ball i have, have one it? in my car right is that, like, now like i have a a, is it a korean tendency or is yes. it i think it's an immigrant thing yeah. for sure mm-hmm. immigrant from a poor country because definitely my parents are like that but also you know like my sister doesn't have it mm. my sister's a minimalist oh ooh. yeah so i got it but i really think there's something really psychologically wrong with me because like it'll be the stupidest thing and i cannot part with it it'll be one of those lanyard things oh yeah totally that you get for free like that you're wearing like that says like artist or whatever yeah. i have like 20 of them yeah so i hoard in my apartment horribly i hoard in my car and you know what's super embarrassing if people are like oh helen can you just give me a ride and i'm like
3: mm. um
2: i'm gonna need 10 have- minutes yeah to clean you have to out. clean out the front the seat.
3: Well I <laughs> so think that if, you can fit into my car. <laughs> as long as it's not like food related, it's not that bad. Yeah. If it's just like lanyards or like yeah. T shirts or something, then it's like kinda not that bad. it's when yeah. it's like junk food food or no, something. No, I don't like, have
2: food in my car, but what I do have is shoes.
3: Oh, okay. like every pair because of
2: shoes that I own that's, is
3: in my car. That's right. Because it's like, you know, you don't know what you're going to do. Like for me, it's like I have every kind of fitness gear thing. Like if I have to go to the spinning, I can go right now. That's true. If I want to go to the gym, if I want to go running, I can go right now. Like I don't have too much other stuff, but that's what I that's have. That's true. I have hiking boots in my car. Mm-hmm. I have sneakers for running.
2: Mm-hmm. And I have, I have those like um, webby feet things for the beach. Oh, okay. You know, those, like, they look like socks with the separated toes. Yeah. Thank you. She's giving you kisses. kisses. She's
3: giving you kisses. This is my dog. And she's very into, like, seaweed. And, like... (gasps) Oh, she's a um, Korean dog. Yeah, she's very Korean. (laughs) She's, like, loves the... We're
2: very into seaweed.
3: Loves the seaweed. And um, she loves, yeah, like, miyokuk. Oh,
2: I just learned... My sister just taught me... So, you know, there's a tradition in Korean culture that you eat miyokuk on your birthday. Mm -hmm. And my sister just taught me She's like, do you know why you eat megakuk? And I was like, no. And she's like, it's a tribute to the mom because that's what they would serve the moms as a way of like healing Mm. Their body oh. after like pushing a nine pound baby out of but their uha, you,
3: you get all of the vitamins and minerals. Yeah. That are in Yeah, and it's, it's easy. Seaweed. It's easy to digest and stuff. That's true. Isn't that nice? I don't like meo cooked that You much. don't? Well, I mean, it's okay, but it's kind of like when of like I'm a real kid for Korean food. Like I like dakbokki, uh huh, and I like Korean barbecue and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, like the junky things like a pudechige and things that are just kind oh. of like rot, rotten and junky full of sodium
2: i learned the most fascinating thing about pudejigae mm. there was a new york times article about spam mm-hmm. and why koreans are so obsessed with spam yeah because i grew up thinking that spam was meat it is like i literally <laughs> would eat it and even to this day like i don't even eat meat anymore but man sometimes i just see a can of spam and i'm like do you ever get so that a gift set no, but that was one of the things in the article That's is, so you know, Korea is now South Korea has become such a wealthy country now mm-hmm. and can afford all these things and it's so like, you know, uh state everything state of the art. But why are Koreans still giving spam gift sets that you can so buy good. at a fancy department store with a bow around it Mm -hmm. and it comes with fancy soy sauce and stuff and and they said uh, they went into in-depth the history of spam in korea and it's actually really sad yeah it goes back to the korean war and how literally koreans were starving Mm -hmm. and so they would dumpster dive Mm -hmm. in the american soldiers like literally the dumpsters that they would throw out all their food like that that was left over on their plate and they would pull out the meat Mm-hmm. Like the hamburger and the spam bits, and boil them with yeah. kimchi, and that would be put. Pudic- that's putichka. G-
3: no, my dad said that his family recipe actually includes condoms from the base, <laughs> and he, he said that's what makes Your so good. That make really good, and I'm like that oh is God, horrible. They would, like, put condoms hysterical. in it. No, you're kidding. That's what he's he said. He's kidding. I don't think he's, he's kidding. He's messing with you. He's very dry. Oh, come on. <laughs>
2: Your dad's fucking with you. His, his like, dad's sense of humor hysterical. is very dry.
3: It's everything but the kitchen sink, you know, that kind of thing of, like, Let's just throw it in and see what happens.
2: Well, it's interesting because like our generation, you know, it's just like a fun thing to eat. And we're like, ooh, it's so tasty and, and flavorful and stuff. And it's got spam and all kinds of goodies in it. But that generation, the older generation that actually lived through the war, pura makes them really sad. Yeah. Because it brings back really bad memories of yeah. when they were starving. Literally starving it's to death. Very and upsetting. had to resort to like yeah. literally dumpster diving. I know.
3: They don't like it. They don't like any memory of that time period. I mean, have you ever done comedy in Korea? I have not. Oh. Well, I just did um, a set on TV and they like went over my set and they were like, didn't want us to do certain jokes that referred to any kind of like Korea being a poverty stricken country Mm. or even a developing country. That there was like a really sort of strict, you know, when you have language about Korea, this is the way that we talk about it, you know, which is like super modern and all Hallyu and like very much like... It's a Korean New Wave, but you can't refer to the war oh, or because they don't want They just don't want to. They don't want to remember it, and yeah. they don't want to think of themselves as this country that has come from that. Yeah, but you know what's so crazy to me is that it was
2: not that long ago. It's not that long ago. I mean, that's what the thing is so bonkers is is that they don't even want to talk about it. Is like it's not like it was like generations ago. It was mm. like people that we know. Yeah. Like we're starving to death in the Korean War. Like my dad has this very distinct memory of being a little boy – And being in line, like some American um, aid organization was giving away these little boxes Mm -hmm. with like some food and snacks and like kids toys. And so there was a huge lineup of Mm -hmm. Koreans who were trying to get these little aid boxes. And my dad, they cut off the line when it got to him. (gasps) Like literally two people ahead of them, they got the last one. (gasps) And my dad was like, he has this very traumatic, very distinct memory of being five years old and just being like, I'm sorry, there's no more. And he was like. Like so, try and it explains so much about the way that my dad is now. Yeah, my dad is super anal about being not only on time but early to oh, things. right, probably yeah. because of that. Yeah, and also they're hoard- they're food hoarders. Mm-hmm. My parents are both food hoarders. Mm-hmm. It's literally the two of them, and they both weigh like ninety pounds, and they have like they shop for food at Costco.
3: Oh yeah 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 <laughs> yeah of course. It's like, why of do course. you need a
2: pallet? Of spaghetti sauce, yeah, I don't know, we but do. they
3: need it, and then they have like their um, the kimchi fridge that yes. you would you you have the separate like stinky fridge where you put all the smelly things in. Well, that's necessary because kimchi will literally it'll taste like everything. It's nuclear. It is, except for a lot the like the Trader Joe's kimchi. You don't yeah, have it's a, not real kimchi. No, because it's not. It doesn't it's have white that people funk. kimchi. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have that like depth and funk. I like really old kimchi that you would make jjigae out of. That's mm. almost like carbonated. Uh, yes, <laughs> you know it's like yes. bubbly yes. and weird. It's so fermented that it uh, goes almost alcoholic. <laughs> like it's that kind of like really old. Um, it's
2: like I'm drunk on kimchi right now. Yeah, like I'm a drunk chigae. on all
3: kimchi. I do love a soju. I can't drink it anymore. But uh, when I did drink alcohol, I did love a soju.
2: I could never get on board with soju. Mm. Soju is a guaranteed hangover. It's get disgusting. It's like teed.
3: it's like a kerosene. It, it it's like rubbing alcohol
2: mm-hmm. i'm sure because it was made from out of necessity you know mm-hmm. they made it out of whatever they could make it out of yeah so i don't know why Koreans, I guess it's nostalgia, right? It's like, oh, well, this was the alcohol of our people. And even though it's rubbing alcohol, we're going to keep drinking
3: it. <laughs> well, I think, yeah. And it's also very, um, it does get you really wasted. Oh, my God. Very wasted. fast. Really. It, there's something that just goes right to the brain. And then absolute regret the next day. Mm. And like, then I get totally red. I get so red on it. Oh, night. you do?
2: Mm-hmm. I'm lucky. I don't get red.
3: Mm, some no, people no, don't.
2: Nobody in my family does. Mm, you have the enzyme. That I have the
3: enzyme. Probably digests yeah.
2: alcohol. But I've quit drinking anyway.
3: Yeah. But it's like a this weird thing of like some Asians don't have the enzyme to properly digest it. Most Asians.
2: Mm-hmm. The redness is actually a sign of like an allergic reaction.
3: Yeah. It's like a mild kind of poisoning. Yeah. <laughs> it's toxin. Yeah. Inviting toxins into our body. But I mean, it's like it's too hard. It's like also if you're like doing comedy... It's really hard to drink when you're doing comedy. You know, do you ever do a bunch of sets in New York? Yes. And in fact,
2: when I lived in New York is when I drank. Mm-hmm. When I drank, it, It's when I drank more because I didn't have to drive. Right. I didn't have to drive because I'm such a lightweight that if I have one drink, I'm, I'm like officially drunk. Mm-hmm. And so I can't drive anywhere. So I was a much bigger drinker when I did comedy in New York. And it's hard to say no to free alcohol. I know. That's yeah. the one thing is like that's one of the perks of being of doing stand up is like, there's free alcohol everywhere. It's yeah. like your your workplace is a bar. Right. And, you know, they'll buy you drinks and if you're doing two, three, four clubs a night, that's Four sets of drinks where they're like, hey, what do you want to
3: drink? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also part of being social, you know? Yeah, and like if you see your friends, it's kind of a thing. It's like a nice sort of ritualized thing to yeah. do with people you know. And that's kind of a, an enjoyable thing too.
2: Yeah. But, but I yeah. think that's how it becomes a problem right. really quickly and yeah. easily because it is like every single, especially if you're doing stand up every single night, which mm-hmm. I was in New York, mm-hmm. it's like every single night and I don't have to drive anywhere because I'm taking the subway and I'm getting free drinks. And I'm being social and I'm seeing my friends, it's like like I'm quickly just becoming an alcoholic.
3: I do feel sadness that I missed out on like the seventies and the eighties of the cocaine comedy time. (laughs) (laughs) because <laughs> that seems like it would be more fitting like it would actually I could that kind would of help makes you sense. yeah because yeah. you would be like
2: I'm amped I'm wired. my
3: You'd, brain's going you would want to go and do a set and then you know like the people like that are on you know on stage are like Richard Pryor or like Sam Kennison and they're doing it so it seems it seems like that time period of comedy must have been incredible
2: yeah Copied. well you got, you were in the tail end of that weren't you
3: I was in the tail end of the 80s but then it was so the beginning of like when I was in comedy so I I wouldn't be allowed into those, like, green rooms, you know? I would never have experienced uh, what it would have been like for a headliner, because I was just an open micer. Right. So I was there, but I wasn't really there. So I never really saw it. I think one time somebody offered me cocaine before some show downtown. They offered me cocaine, and I was like... I felt rude not doing it, but I didn't do it. I just can't believe that you
2: started stand-up at 14. That's,
3: like... Yeah. That's crazy. It's crazy. It's so...
2: What's the word in English? Tedane in Korean. Oh, yeah.
3: It's very I think think is like ca- ambitious. Kind of or it's like a duck to water. Like it's like you're just going for this thing that you know is like right and you're, you're destined for it, but also ambitiously trying mm. to get it. How do they, they react to you as a little 14-year-old girl? Well, I An think… An Asian girl. I think it was, like, it was just such an oddity that it was kind of accepted. And then because I was so different, then it was, like, I got sets right away. Right. Because people were like, oh, this is You were is like a novelty. Of, yeah, total novelty. And like, oh, well, you know, this is interesting. This is kid. <gasps> but then I, um, I really was dedicated to it. Because I didn't have anything else. Like, I didn't have... I didn't go to school. And I didn't have um, this sort of big college in my future or anything. Wow. So all I had was stand-up comedy. And I... I just believed in it and I loved the lifestyle of it and I loved comics and, you know, it's like I would go to shows and like Ellen would be the MC, you know, making 50 bucks. Oh my God. And then I remember when Ellen became a headliner and I was like opening for her.
2: Oh, wow. And it
3: was like really crazy. Like, oh my God, she's headlining. Like, it's a great thing. Like, it's like one of us getting up there. And, you know, I remember when she was like doing acting jobs in the very beginning and it was really... This thing of like watching somebody really develop into themselves. And so I was kind of in that, watching from afar, but at the same time like also experiencing it to some degree. Right. But uh yeah, it's 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 great. Like I just knew that I wanted to be a comic. When when did you know that you wanted to be a comic? I didn't know until the first time I got on stage.
2: Mm. I didn't know it was a thing you could do. Mm. Really? Yeah. Obviously I knew of you and I you know, I knew it was a thing you could do, but I didn't think of it ever as a possibility for me. But I actually, the way I got into stand-up is I took a class. Mm -hmm. I took a stand-up comedy class at Caroline's. Mm. um, And it was taught by this woman, this great older um, New York comic, Linda Smith. Linda Smith. Mm -hmm. This old New York broad who had smoked a lot of cigarettes and she talked like this, you know, and she was (laughs) like, she sounded like, just like, like one of Marge Simpson's sisters, but she was really great. And so I took the class, and the graduation show of our class had like, 200 people because everybody in the class like went all out and literally invited everyone that we knew yeah and it was like 5 p.m on a Sunday Uh, like the sun was still out yeah um at Caroline's and I was so nervous I thought I was gonna throw up I was pacing I like couldn't eat all day I was like my stomach was in knots I was like oh my god oh my god but then I got up there and like I got a laugh right away the first show I landed got a laugh and then that first laugh was like the heavens open mm-hmm. and God spoke to me mm-hmm. and it felt like I was on crack and meth <laughs> and heroin all at the same time, so I'm told. And it was amazing. Like I've never, and I've never gone back. Yeah. I've never gone back. Like yeah. it was like, I was like, oh my God, this is what I have to do and I have to do this as often as I can and for the rest of my life.
3: I think that's what's so fun and and really exciting about watching you is that You're so funny, and then also it looks like you're having a lot of fun too, you know. And that's what's really special. It's like you're not sort of holding it above everybody, is that you're actually including yourself in the audience, yeah. So that's what's really fun is that you're enjoying it along with everybody, so it's a different experience.
2: Oh, god, the dating is so horrible. The problem with the dating is the men. Yes, I'm just putting it out there. The problem is the men, because men just, you guys just get too sexual. You're thinking about sex all the time. Sex, 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 sex. Half of you are looking at your drinks right now being like, oh, shaved like my dick. (laughs) Right, sir? Right, sir? He's looking at this beer bottle, he's like, yeah. Yeah, thank you for saying that. And yeah. I do I do think that's one of the beauties of, of doing stand-up. The art of stand-up is that it's not rehearsed. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, obviously you know your jokes. yeah, So you know what the jokes are, but it's not rehearsed. It's not supposed to be polished. It's not supposed to be like a presentation in that way. I think true stand-up is like you're in the moment and that's why – you know stand up is the most successful when you're really like calling out you know like say you do a joke and it bombs and you're like wow that was I thought that was way funnier in my head uh-huh. that will get a laugh yeah. because you're being authentic and you're being true to the moment mm-hmm. and you're being really like real in the moment and, and letting people know that you're like I'm a real person and I'm experiencing what we're all experiencing together yeah so I do think and I do a lot of crowd work uh, especially when I'm headlining on the road mm-hmm. because I think that's what's special about coming to see live stand up yeah. and that's what makes it different from watching a stand-up special on Netflix or on Comedy Central is like you know you come to a club and you see a live performer because you never know what you're going to get and so that's why I do like to do crowd work when I'm when I am headlining and I like to like mess with the crowd and see what the dynamic of the room is and are are there characters in the cry in the room and and like to mess with them a little bit because that's the beauty of live stand-up comedy
3: yeah and that's I think the tradition of somebody like um, Paula Poundstone really you know and that's like very traditional like wait, wait, don't tell me yeah. kind of thing. Like, you know, she was always, you know, that sort of figurehead on that show, yeah. which you know, you're doing. Yep. And so uh, she was always about playing with the audience. And th- that's a special thing too, because you really have to be in the moment and you're m- trusting your mind. Yeah, Yeah. and and just trusting that. I think that's when I sort of
2: knew that I was on the right path is like, you know, for the first three years, I was like, I, I had a very like confrontational feeling idea of what stand up was it's me against them (laughs) it's me against this audience yeah and and they're they're out here to kill me Uh and it took me like two or three years to be like no no no. they're on my side yeah they're on my side and they want me to be funny right and I have to trust that I am a funny person like Mm -hmm. why did I get into this business in the first place it's because I'm a funny person yeah yeah and and I trust that whatever I will think of in the moment will be funny and if Mm -hmm. it's not then so be it you know like 20 percent of the time it's not but then I can I can bounce back from that. Mm. Well, I have to tell you that I saw you years before I did stand-up comedy. I saw you at the Wiltern. Mm. And it was the I'm the one that I want tour. Oh wow. And it was the closest I've ever come to literally peeing myself. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I mean, Aww. you were just so funny. And I had really good seats. Like a friend of mine got seats. Oh, that's and awesome. so I was really close. Like Aww. I was like within the first ten rows. And I would just remember looking up and just crying literally crying and being like oh my god i'm gonna pee myself oh that's funny so funny oh thank you and that's like the
3: closest i've ever come to this day to literally urinating
2: <laughs> urinating via laughter
3: i'm glad <laughs> that's great it's almost like when you're in comedy for a long time it's hard to get to that point like i rem- i miss the days of like when you're like really seeing live comedy and you can't believe how great it is how, and how, how funny and then you see it and you see it and you see it and then after like 20 30 years you're like
2: Meh. we do get to a point where it's jaded and i it, you know that's the that's the joke of like how do you know a stand up comic really thinks you're funny uh, that's funny
3: <laughs> yeah like nobody say, we don't laugh anymore nobody laughs what makes me laugh is if it's just really i didn't expect
2: it that's true if I didn't see it coming. I mm-hmm. think because we know the process and we we know the analysis. Yeah. Like we know the, how the sausage is made now. Right. That a lot of times we can see the jokes coming. Right. But I will genuinely laugh if I'm like, oh shit, I did not.
3: That yeah. was not what I expected. Like I didn't think that yeah. I, oh, it's like, wait a sec. That's, <laughs> that's what's really satisfying. So if that can kind of get to me now i think or if somebody sometimes like i'll get hung up on like the way somebody does a setup that i think is really funny um like tignataro yeah. will do that still so- so I'll do something like in a setup that I think is really ridiculous, and it's just her dry, deadpan yeah. quality that is really satisfying. Who do you think is like makes you laugh now? I've been seeing a lot of clips of Nate Bargatze. Oh yeah, yeah. Who
2: I've known a long time because mm-hmm. because uh, I started stand up in New York, and he he lived in New York around the same time I did, and he's just great. I mean, he's just a great, great comic. And then I recently saw Kyle Kinane. Ooh. Mm. He's also just so funny. Mm-hmm. Um, Maria Bamford, I think, is a goddamn geni-
3: she's, genius. She's really a genius. Like, it's so, like, really, it's just in the space between her nose and mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and I really like a come in real close. Yeah, there is a lot of subtlety. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot
2: of, like, you. you're right, you do have to kind of be intensely... Watching her to get all of the subtlety, but man, she is just so, she kills me every time. Yeah, she's great. Um, I just love my business so much. You know what I love about it too is it's so democratic, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. like, it doesn't matter if you're a high school, like Chris Rock is a high school dropout. Yeah. You know, there are people we know, like Greg Giraldo was a lawyer. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it runs the gamut between like yeah. people who are literally lawyers and people who are high school drop, dropouts. Mm. That doesn't say anything to your skill. It's like, right. you better be funny.
3: You know, no matter how experienced you are, everybody kills and everybody eats it. Like, there's no telling of what's going to happen. That is so true. You know, like, you just... That's why most comics, there's no real, like, hockey <laughs> like comics because you just eat shit every once in a while. Everybody does. It just that, happens. That was one of the things that I really loved about watching
2: that Seinfeld documentary, mm. Comedian, you know, mm-hmm. it was like probably like 10 years old at, the, yeah. at this point. But, like, the fact that he was coming back to stand up after the series Seinfeld like was such a mega hit and he had that scene at Gotham where like he couldn't remember a bit and some lady started heckling him was like hey have you ever done this before (laughs) and it's like Jerry fucking Seinfeld is like I can't remember my bit and I'm sorry I'm eating it but I just thought that was so great because it's true it's uh, you know and I followed Jerry Seinfeld at Gotham in New York Mm -hmm. and the time that I followed him he got a standing ovation on his way up Mm. but he didn't get one on his way down Oh, (laughs) coming off stage because he was trying stuff out yeah yeah so people were so excited to see Seinfeld yeah and then his set was okay Mm -hmm. you know it was definitely good but it wasn't like didn't blow it out of the water because he was was trying new stuff and Mm -hmm. so he didn't get a standing ovation Mm -hmm. leaving and that actually it it made so much sense to me and it
3: it was so comforting to me in that like Man, you live and die based on that set. There's no telling what's going to happen, no matter who you are. Like, your fame will, you know, generally buy you some applause and and standing ovations or whatever. But it's almost like the more famous you are that you have to deliver. You know, like I think about like Eddie Murphy, you know, he's coming back, I guess, to do uh, Netflix to do a special. And he must be feeling like a lot of pressure yeah. because of the way that his his sort of legacy yeah. is really based on stand-up, which he categorically have, hasn't really done for, for year, 30 years. yeah. So it's got to be hard. Yeah, especially, like, you're
2: absolutely right. He must be shitting his pants because he's consistently listed as one of the greatest of all time stand-ups. Right. You know, he was a prodigy at, like, 19. And, and people consistently are like, oh, yeah, Eddie Murphy is my all-time favorite stand-up. And so if you haven't done it in 30 years...
3: Yeah, I couldn't imagine the pressure that somebody like that would be under. Or
2: even like my friend um, Tiffany Haddish mm-hmm. had that experience when, you know, she's had this insane couple of years yeah. where she's just blown up, but then she sold out a big arena in Miami mm-hmm. and it went very badly. Mm-hmm. This was maybe five months ago, mm-hmm. six months ago. And like she walked, you know, people she was getting booed it and sucks. like people were walking out and mm-hmm. I felt for her, you yeah. know, I like tweeted at her. I was like, girl, you know just stay strong because you know you're funny and you know you're great. and yeah. And, like, you just had an off night and, unfortunately, happened to be in an a- a- arena.
3: The way that, like, the internet is is so nasty. Like, people, like, want you to fail. If you're somebody that's, like, achieving this incredible success like yeah. her, it's, like, they can't wait to tear it down. Yeah. It's so, like, like lacks humanity. Like, people just shows, like, the ugly side of the way people are. But she is so funny. Like, she's, she's legit so hilarious. Funny. And it just makes you feel good. Like, I, when I see her, I just feel good. Like, I think she's just really, really, really fun. And not only that, but this special that she just
2: released, which is showcasing, like, 10 of her great girlfriends, Mm -hmm. I think is so beautiful Mm -hmm. you know because you know you always hear the story of like when you make it send the elevator back down Mm -hmm. so that other people can make it after you and Mm -hmm. I I feel like that's what Tiffany is doing right now like she just released the special on Netflix called They Ready and it's 10 of her good friends who are all female comics mostly of color Mm -hmm. almost all of color and it's just it's so great I I have been tweeting about it and Instagramming about it because I just think it's so amazing and like our friends like Ida Rodriguez are on it and Shantae Way and april macy like good friends that we've come up with in the stand-up scene here mm-hmm. but who are not household names mm-hmm. and that tiffany is really trying to um give a platform for yes.
3: it's really good do you have lincoln on your tattooed on yeah. your knee it's uh, abraham lincoln and um the other one is george washington it's stupid <laughs> it's because it costs six dollars to spread them wait what? so that's why it costs six dollars <laughs> to spread them so that's why, and then also, and now I can't raise oh my the prices. God,
2: this is what
3: Margaret, <laughs> Margaret's commitment to the bit. I have a Benjamin Franklin, I have a $100 bill on my back. Oh, because it's... With a 50 pound note. So <laughs> it's like, but the 50 pound note, You're I very think, into
2: tattooing currency. Yeah,
3: yeah. Well, it's a sort of a good luck for money thing. Oh. It is, but then um, the 50 pound note, I think, is changed to, um, not Benedict Cumberbatch, but it's Alan Turing. So it's the I had really? the queen on it, but I think the fifty pound note is going to be Alan Turing. Oh,
2: but the queen is just so much more posh.
3: Yeah, it's very posh. Yeah,
2: but the are you are you superstitious?
3: Not that much, but I think I think my family is, and then Koreans are in general. Oh, I have a whole bit about how Asians are so superstitious. Yeah, the, Korean fan death. You know that one? Of co- How could I not? Yeah. How but, could I not? That's if you have a fan on you, like a like like an oscillating fan.
2: Mm-hmm. you know you're like a cooling fan in your room with the with the blades and if you have it on
3: you while you're sleeping you will die yeah you're going to die i don't know what it is is like of dehydration or like I don't dry know out? but i'm
2: convinced that because then we grew up and we knew people who had the fans on them all night and never died yeah and then we were like perplexed and so i'm convinced that it was one person in korea who died of whatever reason with the fan on. And then it just and became, it would just spread. Mm, it just went viral.
3: It play, like playing telephone. And then now it's just like electric fan death. <laughs> it's but they really believe it. It's not even like it's oh, like they, like they I was full on. I was warned as a child yeah. that I would die if I kept the fan on. And then I'm like as it what about air conditioning? <laughs>
2: like no, that's okay. Nobody died of that. Nobody's died, nobody. of, died of that.
3: Or I also yeah.
2: um, was told that I would get worms in my hair if I went to sleep with wet hair.
3: Oh, I didn't know yeah. that.
2: Yeah, worms in my hair. Hmm. And then also, my mom hates when I when I do this leg shaking
3: thing. Oh, yeah, don't do that. That's, that's bad. Shake the, away all your love. Shake away all my money.
2: And I sometimes do it. I do this, like, a t- it's a tick of shaking your leg really fast. And my mom will slap my leg yeah. so hard.
3: Yeah, they don't like that at all. The hates shaking it. your leg. Any kind of tick is a problem, I think. If they see it, they spot it, you're going to get, like, somebody's going to throw a shoe. <laughs> Or something.
2: I can't. I We took a picture the other day at the Ice House Korean room. And I mm-hmm. swear to God, you look younger than me. It's like kind of disturbing.
3: No, no, no. I you mean, I think so we just... so young. I think Asian people, I think we just... Koreans in particular, we just look young forever. Until we don't... like we a, look like Yoda. There's a split... Yeah. It's like a very split second. And then suddenly old. It's weird. Yeah.
2: We just lose all of the whatever... Collagen or something, something. It just something all like just d- d- deflates, but really fast.
3: <laughs> My <laughs> I parents love
2: it. have never seen me do stand up. Really, never. Oh, I know they they're, would love it. They no, would love it. I'm sure. They're absolutely not invited. I will Why? have like I will have an aneurysm because it'll just make me super anxious. They'd be so proud. And I just don't. so they're allowed to come to wait. Wait, don't tell me tapings because it's not really me. You know, mm-hmm. it's I'm part of a bigger thing, and it's clean. Yeah, you know, it's PG. Basically, the tapings are PG.
3: I mean, yeah, you do get racy, but I don't think you're particularly like dirty. I just, I'd rather not. I know.
2: I just don't want to. <laughs> I just don't want to. And it, at this point, you know,
3: they're going to have to see it, especially like when you're doing like your specials, and then they'll have to see it. Well, they they've seen me on TV.
2: Yes. Um, so they're allowed to watch me on TV, but oh, okay. they can't like be in the room. Okay. But no. if they they
3: can watch you on TV, then it, then I think that's okay. But I don't like it when anyone I know is in the room. Do you? Um, I guess it depends if it's people that I I'm, I'm you know I'm friends with. I think it's fun. If I have friends come to see me, I tell them to not tell me
2: beforehand mm. because like inevitably if my manager or my agent comes, like I'll bomb. Mm. Like my manager's coming to see me tonight. I'm back at the ice house tonight, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, oh god. I'm going to eat a dick. No, no, never. It's like a weight in the room that Mm. I feel. Mm -hmm. It's like a magnet or something, Mm. some sort of force out of balance in the room. I
3: think you like virgin territory. There's a clean slate between you and the crowd, maybe. I love going on the road.
2: I don't know a single soul. Yeah. The bigger the room, the better. Like If I'm playing 400 people in a crowd, I don't know a single soul and I can just smash it.
3: Then you can just really invent and reinvent And you don't Mm -hmm. have, you're not beholden to any ideas of who you may have been, or you don't have to uphold any ideas of who you are. Oh, I like that. I never thought of it that way. Yeah, it's about this kind of like reinvention, I think. Oh, wow. Mechanism of like, I'm going to create this Helen from the ground up. And every time I can wow, do it from the ground up. deep. Yeah, it's very <laughs> deep. No, but I think that's it. I, I think done it's done like, I don't like, it's almost like that's good for crowd work too because you don't have to have a preconceived notion of how this is going to go. Yeah, yeah, no baggage. Yeah, and then I don't have to um, uphold any of these ideas about who I am because you don't know me personally. You may know my comedy, but you may not know me personally, so then I'm free. That's so true.
2: Like, I've been trying this joke on stage about like wanting to date women for the first time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I do find it easier to tell that joke in a room where no one knows me. Mm-hmm. Whereas like I've been having a harder time doing it because I don't want to explain myself when I get off stage. Like, oh, Helen, is that true? Are you trying mm-hmm. to date women now? And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, but it's not really any of your business.
3: Yeah. And it's not like you have to uh, answer to the the Helen that they thought they knew. So I think it's more just like I don't want to be held down to these these identities that I've been in the past. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. I'll, Good. I'll take it. Good. <laughs> I'll accept that. I like it. Um, so now uh, I want people to find you on. Okay, let me let's list all the things. So many things. Um, you have podcasts. You have uh, NPR. Wait, wait, don't tell me. Correct. And then podcasting. I have another podcast. It's also a trivia podcast called Go Fact Yourself. And uh, I've been on this show. It's a very difficult show. <laughs> it's really hard, but it really is uh, plumbing the depths of trivia. You think you're good at trivia, well, listen to the show. But also, like, we get to find out what you're into. Mm-hmm. So basically, like, the premise of the show is we
2: bring celebrities on and we quiz them about things that they have a passion for. Mm-hmm. So your thing was the Beach Boys, mm-hmm. which I, you know, like, yeah, that was yeah. a cool thing to learn that mm-hmm. you're, A, you're into the Beach Boys mm-hmm. and how much you knew about it and, like, how many times. You've seen them, like, it was really cool. Like, yeah. it's a it's a cool way of getting to know
3: you yes. in a different light. But it was crazy because it was all the things that I didn't know about the Beach Boys, too. So you're challenged, and I think that's a great part, too, because you get to know more about things that you thought you were interested in. Right. So um, so that is great with uh, J. Keith Stratton. Right. And um, then also on the road doing comedy all the time and in town. Correct. So yeah. So where can people find out about your comedy dates? I have a website. It's
2: helenhong.com, mm-hmm. and my performance calendar is on there, and then you can follow me on the socials at...
3: Funny Helen Hong. And um, is that on Insta, too? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Same. Awesome. Yay! Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Of course. I'm so glad that we got to hang out. Yay! Yay! Come see me do comedy. I'll be at the Lucky Eagle Casino in Rochester, the Laugh Out Loud Comedy Club in San Antonio, uh, the Improv in Washington, D.C., Wise Guys at the Gateway in Salt Lake City, And uh, Club Regent Casino in Winnipeg, and the River Cree Resort and Casino in Enoch. But you can find all of my dates and whatever you need to know at MargaretShow.com. Never miss an episode of The Margaret Show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The Margaret Show is an Erios production with editing by Kat Hong and original music by Garrison Starr. cast.